Hi there, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Gary Neville podcast. Uh, Gary and I scratching our heads a little bit on the gantry at the Etihad Stadium as to how we saw an exhilarating first half and an attritional second half between the great rivals, Liverpool and Manchester City. Gary, considered thoughts on the, how it panned out in the end? I think the first half was a demonstration of how brilliant these two teams can be and the sort of exhibition they can put on and the Premier League can put on. In the second half, I think we saw a demonstration of how far we've got left in this season. I think both teams will have gone in at half-time and maybe just thought we just need to calm this down a little bit. Um, I think with City being where they are, 11th in the league, my feeling was this morning that they would be quite desperate to beat Liverpool today and really sort of damage them and sort of get close to them within two points and obviously then a game in hand. So I was wrong with that because I did think that City would show a lot more urgency. But I think Pep Guardiola's dem oh, demonstrated, I think he's shown in the second half the respect that he has for Liverpool by the fact that he didn't really break away from his shape. He was very nervous about counter-attack. We saw an incident there, instance near the end there where they were on a sort of a mini counter-attack and they had six players behind the ball, which is so unlike Manchester City to see both full-backs sitting back with five minutes to go. When would we ever see that at home? So I think that in the second half, it was respect that both teams were showing each other and I think bumping the fight down the road a little bit. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Let's talk about the Liverpool lineup in which mm. Diego, Diogo Jota came in, or stayed in, I should say, and uh, uh, you could understand why that was the case. He scored in the four previous games and has earned the right six goals in those four games to, to be given a start, and he wasn't going to turn his back on Roberto Firmino either. No, and I think in that first 25 minutes, it was exhilarating, just the, the speed of play, the tempo, the... That the passes into the front players, it was a throwback. Um, and it was a little bit of a throwback actually to the earlier Klopp days where everything was a little more frantic. Mm. Uh, now it's a lot more measured um, than, than it was in the far more rounded team. But, but I think it caught City out. And I think the idea of playing Jota, it, it was like a front four. There was no sort of subtlety to it. You know, they were really pressing high, they were going for it, they were attacking City's defenders one on one, running in behind them. Um, it really was a brilliant display. It was, like I say, wonderful to watch that first 25 minutes, half an hour, and it, it just really caught City up, uh, caught City out, and it took half an hour for City just to sort of what would be weather that storm and get into the game and realise what was happening here because sometimes that can happen in a game of football. You come out and a team just absolutely blitzes you and you're like, what's going on? And there will come a point where it settles down, and it did eventually, but it will have been... A wake-up call for City, I think, that first half. Now, particularly those defenders. Diaz looked like he was really struggling in that first part of the game, but grew as the game went on. But they are really short of goals, Manchester City, compared to mm. the way they've started the previous seasons under Pep Guardiola. They're getting them in ones. I know they've missed a penalty here today, and obviously that goes in, and it's more than one. But um, the, the, the history book shows it's a 1-1 draw, and, and again, they haven't really shown that firepower. No, and uh, you just wonder, is it just as simple as Aguero? Or is, is it that simple? can't be really um, 
Something's not the same, is it? I mentioned about both these teams from two years ago where they were both neck and neck right to the end, where they were just flawless. And it was a level of quality that I've not seen before in Premier League football or in any football for the last 30 years, 40 years of watching it, where both teams, you always expect there to be a mistake towards the end of the season. There wasn't. They were brilliant defensively. They were brilliant in attack. Goals galore. They are a little bit weaker than two years ago, which I think makes the league more interesting. I think we've seen Leicester and Southampton and Tottenham top of the league, which we like. And I think that, you know, those two teams running away with it doesn't do anybody any favours. Um, but there certainly is a slight cause for concern for Manchester City. They're less precise in their attacks. They rely a lot more upon one player, Kevin De Bruyne, than I think they did two, three years ago. It feels to me like if he's not on song, then they don't really create anywhere near as much. No David Silva. David Silva obviously is a huge miss. You know, we knew he was a brilliant player and almost maybe at times the glue that just connected everything together and the flow in the game and the, the rhythm that they had was probably something that now, obviously, they don't have him, they don't have company. So it's a changing team, but certainly they're different. They're not as good defensively and they're not as probably as precise in attack and they're not as dangerous in attack. They're still a brilliant team, but just that two years ago really was a magic year when you look at both those teams. Uh, and now we're just seeing a little bit of a drop-off from that, but I think it's making it a far more exciting Premier League where it's more competitive. Yeah, rarely do, do you get a, a Liverpool and City playing at the same time. And mm. so if one won, the other one had to win. Yeah. And it was, it was sort of a cycle that went on throughout the, the months of the season. Well, look at the league now. Look at the league table. It's bizarre. You know, Liverpool are in third, City are down in 11th. We've got Tottenham at the top now, I think. Uh, is Les it? Leicester, Leicester at the top. Yeah. And Tottenham are second. So yeah. I think it's what, to be fair, we probably crave for in the last two or three years. We all loved that year that Leicester won it. We all wanted a more competitive league. With the start of this season, we were all thinking this is just going to be City and Liverpool. There's no one else can win it. And probably that is the case. But the fact that they're having difficulties, maybe it's because of what's going on at this moment in time. We've seen Trent Alexander-Arnold get injured. We've seen Fabinho get injured in the week. We've seen other injuries occur. Laporte's been injured. It's causing problems for teams, this relentless fixture schedule. But it is, does mean that it's becoming more difficult. The top six clubs wanted the five subs rule, didn't they? Maybe they will argue, well, this is why. But I still wouldn't move on that position because I think that the fact it's a more competitive league means that it's better for everyone to watch. And we want to see the top teams being beaten by the lower team. That Villa game was one of the most we remarkable do, games. We do, but they don't. No, they don't, and I didn't when I was playing either. But there were always games, Martin, where we, as Manchester United, as, as dominant as we were over a period of years, we would get beaten by the teams at the bottom of the league. And it, just for a, two, a couple of years, you were going to games thinking, you can't beat Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. It was almost like a waste of time turning up. You knew what was going to happen. And now, at least when we come, we're thinking, right, there's a chance for the other team. I, I'm not sure it doesn't please Pep Guardiola or the Manchester City fans, but it does mean the, the, the season's more alive and it's it's certainly a better watch. Well, let's have a word about Leicester because they played Monday and won 4-1 at Leeds. They scored four on Thursday in the Europa League and they've won a tight game against a good side in Wolves today. Yeah. They're an awkward, awkward proposition, Leicester. They do a lot of things very well. They're efficient, they're well-coached. Um, we watched them here, didn't we, earlier on in the season. I think probably gave them the confidence to do what they're doing today. But they started last season really well and then they fell away at the end. Uh, but it's an outstanding performance from Brendan Rodgers. It's an outstanding performance from Leicester. And you say Wolves are, I think, to use the word awkward, they are a very difficult customer or Wolves to, to get past. And I think that 
what Leicester are doing at this moment in time is outstanding. It proves that it's, it's no sort of one-season wonder, that there's a sort of con continuity now and they're doing it again at the start of this season. And he's one of the really outstanding managers in the league, Brendan Rodgers. We always talk about British coaches not being at the level of Klopp or Guardiola or Mourinho or Pochettino, but actually Brendan Rodgers is now... You know, finished second with Liverpool. He's done what he did last year with Leicester. He's now doing it again. He's up there, really. He's he's, he's a fantastic coach. Another Premier League regular we talk about a lot. Harry Kane came in with a late winner for Tottenham at West Brom. His 150th Premier League goal. He's reached 200 for Tottenham in the previous game in Europe. Um, and just when the game was dying, he comes up with a, a little flick header and he's done it again and Spurs uh, went top then and they're, yeah. they're second now. The only thing that can stop Harry Kane doing everything in the game that he wants to do and breaking every record is injury. It's the only thing that can stop him. Uh, Alan Shearer is definitely the best striker um, in Premier League history in terms of just his goal record is absolutely outstanding. He's the best striker I played with with England um, in terms of number nine. Wayne Rooney I'd put up there with him to be honest with you. Uh, but Alan Shearer is an outstanding striker, and Harry Kane has so much similarity to me, so much similarity in his game in terms of the mentality. That mentality of just ice cold, doesn't seem to flinch if they miss a chance, doesn't seem to flinch if a goalkeeper saves one. They'll come back and do the right thing. It's almost like a process. Scoring a goal is a process for them where they know where the target is and they'll hit that target and they'll hit that position that they know that is most likely to give them the goal. And it's methodical and he's brilliant, Harry Kane, and he's a great professional. Um, England are lucky to have him. Uh, and Tottenham, I said a couple of weeks ago on Monday Night Football, I didn't think they could win the league. I don't think they can, but Jamie Carragher said it would be the most outstanding story to see Jose Mourinho win the league with Tottenham. I do agree with that. It would be something that would alarm, I think, Chelsea fans, Manchester United fans. Arsenal uh, fans. Arsenal fans, of course. It would be one of the great stories because Tottenham don't win leagues. 1951 and 1961. Yeah, so... It would be a, an outstanding achievement, but he's got the forward players to do it. You think of the, the strike force and the goals, it's it's incredible. And at the moment, you look at both teams we've seen today, and there's no doubt they're outstanding teams, but there are flaws there. And there weren't two years ago. They were almost perfect in everything that they did. Regular listeners of the podcast will expect me to ask you about Manchester United winning at Everton. Uh, after a, a couple of very poor results, yeah. um, they came up with a great one. They did. I mean, I was, I was glued to the telly uh, from half past 11 yesterday morning, just, you know, thinking about the game, thinking what had happened in the previous week. And obviously you see the reports leading up to the game and you're just thinking, needs a performance here. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the club needs a performance. Those players needed a performance. And they went one behind and you think, here we go. But actually, they, you know, Martial had a chance, I think, before 1-0. Uh, to Everton and I think United deservedly came out on top in the end and, and they're just so inconsistent you know if you think about over the last couple of weeks the performances against Leipzig the performances against uh, Paris Saint-Germain the performance at Goodison Park and then sort of in between that the performance in Turkey and uh, against Arsenal and they're just up and down and they've got to get rid of that because it's it's the thing that really will always put them under pressure as players and it will always put the manager under pressure because you know you need consistency and that's what ultimately champions need to be and it's more that they are inconsistent. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I've got to ask you one question that's been bugging me a lot, uh, and you, I trust your judgment on watching football as much as anybody that I ever worked with. Um, penalties, proportion of penalties to games. We've now, I think, as we speak, we've had two in the game here. Mm. There were two in the Leicester Wolves game. I think it, after the, there's one more game which hasn't been yeah. played when we're talking, which is the Arsenal game. 77 Premier League games, 41 penalties. That's one every two games. It, I think of the. I, I don't know a lot about rugby, but I know they rather score tries than kick penalties. You know, <laughs> and it seems to me that's coming into football that if you're going to be top scorer in the Premier League, you're going to have to take penalties now. And Jamie Vardy's obviously doing yeah. very well. Harry Kane, we've done it for a long time, and Shearer used to do it, but that may be yeah. true for a long time. But they seem to be more and more influencing the results and the shape of the table. Yeah, I think there's uh, one of the reasons is that the attacking players are so quick. So t I think this league's technically better than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago and 20 years ago and even five years ago. So we first need to say that, that the equality of the attacking players is outstanding and they commit defenders like you wouldn't believe and they drive in front of them and they drive under their armpits and they're just absolutely brilliant at it. And they win more penalties generally, like the one with Manny today against Kyle Walker. You've then got this, uh, what would be handball nonsense, um, which is a nonsense, it, and it's not VAR. The thing is at the moment that the offside is more consistent than it's ever been before, and you would argue that decision-making is more consistent than it's ever been before, and VAR is getting blamed for what would be, I think, a couple of rule applications. The application of the, the new rule of handball, the new rule of handball is the nonsense, not VAR. The way in which the offsides are measured is a nonsense. It's not VAR. That's what the referees that are in Stockley Park are being told to do. So if we just went back to what would be the more basic rules, which the fans feel comfortable with and the people of the game and the players feel comfortable with and the coaches feel comfortable with and, and we feel comfortable with, I think we've actually got something pretty good because the nonsense of the early days of VR when they were all over the place with the decision-making, I think it's actually gone. We're actually getting consistency. It's actually a couple of rule changes in respect of the way in which, you know, the yesterday the Bamford handball where they're drawing the, the line down the arm. We don't, it, we don't want to see it. Fans don't want to see it. Coaches don't want to see it. Players don't want to see it. Commentators don't want to see it. So let's get rid of it because the game doesn't want to see it. No one wants to see a player have the ball hit against him from three yards away, give a penalty away because he can't react and move his arm away in time. So... We don't want to see it. There is a demand from fans overwhelmingly on, on social media from us in the commentary box who are describing these instances as nonsense that we don't like this part of the game and they have to react to this. FIFA, UEFA, the FA and other organisations around the world and the referees' organisations, they have to come together and say, look, we've introduced a rule, the fans don't like it and let's change it and let's move it back to something that the fans like. That doesn't mean that you can react to every single situation, but this is universally dis disliked. The players hate it. The coaches hate it. We hate it. The fans hate it. Even the referees. The referees don't, don't, don't like, like it. it. No. no, I mean, you saw today Craig Porson. I think as he came over to that touchline, he almost knew it. He, he was the one he didn't want in this game. You could see it in his face that he knew he was going to have to give a decision that he didn't believe was the decision that he wanted to give. And you could see it in his face. 
but the law is dictating to him that he must give that penalty. And that is the problem here. We've got a, a rule that is, needs to be changed and the handball and the, the offside one as well, I think, needs to be simplified to one that ultimately we all... No, the line will have to come down somewhere. That's what I will say about handball, about offside. That line, if we're going to let VAR de determine offside, it will come down somewhere, but that point shouldn't just be arbitrary on someone's arm. It needs to be an actual definite point. So... It's the furthest foot forward, or the first, you know, whatever it is. It's, it would it, be easy if you just looked at the feet. Just, it? I think yeah. the feet is the yeah. consistent part of a body that you say, right, the last standing foot, or the foot, the the, the, foot, the foot that's furthest to uh, nearest towards goal. That's the point the line comes down, and we go with it. Then we get consistency. So I actually think VAR has improved this season. I like the idea of the referees coming over to the to the touchline and, and and giving them the power. It's just these two rule things that are just a nonsense. And then the penalties that we're seeing, the increased penalties, is partly because of just great play. I mean, I would hate to be a right-back now. I would hate to be a defender now. It's so... I'm not, I'm not complaining, but you know, it is so in favour of the attacker. Maybe it always should have been. Maybe it was in my day where I could go through the back of a player and wouldn't even get booked. That was wrong. So maybe the game's right now, and it's not a case of me saying... In my day, it was better, but it's so much more difficult for a defender now. They're all getting butt left, right and centre just for little touches and little changes of direction. I was just thinking while you were talking about the feet that um, in the sprinting, I'm sure it's a full start when you move your feet. You're leaning forward with, if, you, if you're an Olympic sprinter, you're leaning forward, you're allowed to lean forward over the line. Yeah. But it's your feet yes. that are judged by when they say it's wrong. And I think football could uh, adopt that really easily. Yeah, it's that part of the body that we all accept is the point whereby that line always comes down. And it has to be, it has to be consistent. So whatever that point is, um, I don't know. Centre of the head, I don't know. They just, whatever it would be, it is the feet, I think, Martin, to be honest. Someone then would argue, what happens if one foot's up in the air and you, you're then drawing an imaginary li a line between the last foot and the last, you know, you're drawing that line down. But I think we'd accept that. It's just this arm thing, and that, that was a nonsense, the Bamford one yesterday. And this one today, the two decisions we've seen on handball, I don't like those because I'm a full-back. I'm running back. My job's to block a cross. My job as a fullback, number one job actually in my day, because you had wingers that would cross it. It was stop the cross, stop the cross, defend your back post and stop the cross. And you had to stop that cross with your life. And that meant that you would throw everything at it. You'd throw your body at it, which means your arm comes away from your side. It comes away. As you away. said, you and Jamie Carragher would have been oh. penalised over and over and over again. <laughs> well, when I go, I just look back to say, for instance, a defender like Colin Hendry who used to come out charging out and make some magnificent sort of goal line clearances, blocks. John Terry was the same. These Latin, Steve Bruce was the same. But quite often it would bounce up off their knee against their arm or it would, they'd be just every single time they'd be giving penalties away. Um, and, you know, this is, what, this is great defending. You know, your job is to block the cross, it's to block the shot. And you are going to block the odd shot with your hand or your arm because you are in desperate mode to stop that ball going in the back of your net. And if it's a natural position, we all get the one now where if it's above your head or if it's shoulder, you know, if it's sort of, you know, um, left or right of your shoulder, we get that one where you lift your arms, not the ones where your arms are in a natural position by your side. And there has to be an element of 
compromise with natural position because your natural position does change. Sometimes you do react to the ball. You know, you do move your arm a little bit towards the ball when the ball's smashed at you from three yards because your natural reaction is such. But if a ball's hit at you from three yards, it cannot be deliberate. It cannot be deliberate because you haven't got time for it to be deliberate. It's just there. It's hitting you. Yeah, deliberate went out, <laughs> Fred. <laughs> but I know. I'm going to leave you with one thought for, for everybody who's listening. We've gone into, since we last worked together in, in, in a Premier League game, we've gone into a national lockdown. And football is, I hope, bringing mm. comfort and relief to many people who can't get out, who are stuck in front of their television screens. And just a little pat on the back for the Premier League for allowing this to happen, to the detail that's gone into the work to make sure that the players are safe. Uh, even we, the media, are yeah. safe. And everything is done so professionally. And... and well done, the government, at least, for allowing this to continue because in lockdown one, we had no football. No, it's clockwork, Martin. From the, I mean, that form, come, you fill that form in the day before, the one from Sky, you get the one from Manchester City today and you get to the ground and you go in through the sort of the one-way system and you pick up your pass and you get your temperature checked and you fill in the form again and it's just methodical. It takes five, ten minutes, but they've been so careful. It has been clockwork. The cases in the game with players remain low, not just at Premier League level, but actually moving down through the leagues as well. I know that there have been a couple of teams that have had to postpone fixtures, but that would have been, I think, normal. We'd have accepted that, I think, at the beginning of this. And it is a very different lockdown, this one, obviously, with schools and universities still open, hotels still able to open, but sport still on. And the relief that it gives... You know, I'm actually not doing a game for two weeks now, uh, but I'm looking in that two-week period and I'm thinking, well, I've got football on Tuesday night and I've got football on Thursday evening, on Friday evening, on next Sunday, just saw the England-Belgium game, the Wales-Republic of Ireland games. So you're thinking that, you know, you, other than football, you've got very little to really go on at this moment in time, obviously family as well, but it's um, very different than, than lockdown one. Um, I think obviously it has moved forward. We've, we've, we've found out that we can operate safely within stadiums. I just hope that we get to a point now where you mentioned there was a testing event in Scotland yesterday. Nicholas With Dirt. the crowd, yeah, Ross County, I think. Yeah, was, Ross yeah. County. So yeah. we know we've done test events in this country already in Premier League and in Football League grounds. And obviously we've seen crowds appear actually in the lower tiers of English football. So, I, you know, you said before the game when I asked you a question, do you think that fans will be back in before the end of the season? I think we both do, don't we? Yeah, we, we really hope so because we know how much it's... I can imagine what it must be like. As a, We're both real football fans, yeah. above anything else we've done in the world. We're both football fans. And just not having the privilege of being here and being at home and having to watch it like the vast majority of football fans, uh, it, it, it must be very painful. And when are you going to get into a ground to see your team play again? And uh, people are counting the hours. And hopefully, hopefully, the medics have got to do it for us yeah. and the politicians as well. But we can't wait to have you back in the grounds, fans. I promise you that. No, I would echo those words. It's we say it, we we feel it every single game. We see it, we say it every single game. That game today in the second half would not have been allowed to play out like that with this stadium full because there would have been demands on the players and demands on the coaches. Um, and it's we've said it from very beginning that you would never imagine that a football, a Premier League game would be without fans ever. You would never imagine that. And now that we've seen it without fans, we recognise why this league is so exciting because the fans bring the atmosphere that create 
the excitements on the pitch that give the players that adrenaline rush that makes them feel that they're playing in an incredible league. And that's why all these managers and uh, players want to play in this league. Gary, thank you. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.